Welcome to Webcology. Webcology is the show that takes you into the deepest and darkest ends of the ecosystem on the internet. Our guides will take you on a journey into web marketing and bring you the experts and the information so that you can further explore the web marketing world. Now, here are the hosts of Webcology, Jim Hedger and Dave Davies. Hey everyone, welcome to Webcology here on Cranberry.fm. It is Thursday, the 9th of June, 2016. And Dave, man, I gotta tell ya, I'm in such a good space right now. Just finished finished and delivered and did did the uh, uh, post-delivery meeting on this massive audit I did for one of Toronto's (laughs) newspapers. The sun is shining, the clients are paying on time, and we got a guest this week. Isn't that awesome? And a great guest. Why don't you tell our listeners who that is? Coming on, joining us on Webcology in uh, about uh, five to ten minutes, it's going to be Brian Wallace, the uh, founder, proprietor, chief graphic editor, and chief bottle washer over at uh, nowsourcing.com. We're going to be talking web marketing, uh, infographics, election cycles, Whatever, whatever we end up talking about, we're going to be talking about. I'm really looking forward to having Brian on. I haven't spoken to him for, I actually haven't spoken to Brian personally for a couple of years. Interesting cat. I'm really looking forward to it. Really looking forward to it. And I have to ask you, you know what, I, and I know you can't say, because I know we all sign our NDAs when we're doing audits and stuff, but you're talking about Toronto newspapers. You're saying the sun is always shining, and I'm like, oh. No, not that one. <laughs> all right. Some people we just don't work for. <laughs> <laughs> no, this wasn't this wasn't the uh, the Sun or the Sun newspaper group or anything to do with the Sun Publishing Network. Uh, as I said, there's some pe- I, I work for literate people. <laughs> um, although, okay. Anyway, I don't I don't want to uh, 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 just beat on the Sun too much. It gets too hot. It's the beginning of summer, man. There's it not is. A he- there wasn't a heck of a lot that happened in the news last week. A few interesting things went down. You just threw out a story that actually, you know, should amaze me, but scares the pants off me. <laughs> okay. Ever since kids, ever since I mean, you know what? Before we were even born, back in the days of like Jules Verne, we've been talking about you know autonomous flying vehicles, flying cars. Yeah. Hey, I was raised on the Jetsons. Yeah, the Jetsons. Um, Everything we grew up with in the 70s, 80s, and 90s said we would have flying cars today, and we don't. But we might. Yet, because apparently Larry Page, one of the co-founders at Google, one of the richest men in the world, Larry Page, is uh, well, basically funding not one, but two startups devoted to creating flying cars. I guess just in case he's got, you know, one's redundant in case the other doesn't work. <laughs> now, I think this is great in a way. Uh, one's called uh, Z Arrow and the other's called Kitty Hawk. <laughs> great name. Um, what do you think, Dave? You know, I, I have to like it. Um, I, my hope here, and, and I know uh, some of our listeners will go, no, I wouldn't trust a Google to drive my cars for me, but I've seen drivers on roads. Um, so I'm going to hope if we go this route and we actually end up with flying vehicles that 
yeah, they, they, they are driven autonomously because I do not trust people to operate in three dimensions because they have problems in two. Um, but, um, you know, obviously I'm excited about it. I, I think it sort of brings in a, you know, a new sort of the next generation, the next era of transport. And I think it would solve a lot of all of our problems um, when it comes to congestion and, and traffic and, and stuff like that. So, and you know what? It just has a cool factor. Like, come on, it's just awesome. Well, I agree with a lot of that, but there's two points I want to make here. One of the things that, uh, you know, less and less people are dying in auto collisions now because, you know, cars are being built stronger and better with airbags and, um, you know, uh, 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 computer-engineered crumple zones. And, you know, they're just much safer today. Mm-hmm. Add the element of being two or 300 feet in the air <laughs> to any collision scenario. <laughs> um, and I don't know how safe that car can be made. Um, and then there's, there's an even scarier factor, though. And uh, to do this, we just have to sort of look back in history a bit at Google Wave, <laughs> Orkut, and um, what else do we have here? The, the pantheon of Google products that sort of got off the ground, and once we're off the ground, we're left there hanging till they fell. <laughs> yeah. Um, do you really <laughs> want to get in a car Larry built? I'll let him... Uh, drive one first. Oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> you first, buddy. Yeah, no doubt. <laughs> but, oh, but you know, just because we need to report this to you, you may have a flying car on your horizon or even worse, in your living room sooner than you think. <laughs> well said. <laughs> um, what, else, what else is happening? It's almost over. We are, it's the time that we can beat up on Yahoo is almost officially, completely, almost at an end. I know it was announced. Yeah, go ahead. So, so, uh, it was announced this week that Yahoo, this this really weird, Yahoo is planning on selling about 3,000 of its patents, including the patent for its like proprietary search technology. Um, in a deal that's worth that's estimated by the Wall Street Journal to be about a billion dollars. Mm-hmm. Now, you know what weirds me out about this most? What's that? Not that Yahoo is finally selling. I mean, like this should have happened a couple of years ago. Yep. Patents being sold at a, like a billion dollars. That's on average three hundred and thirty-three thousand three hundred and thirty-three dollars and thirty-three cents per patent. And I'll bet you a lot of those patents are worth more than that. For instance, oh, I can guarantee that. The one that covers their proprietary search technology. <laughs> yeah, I think some of them may be being valued higher than others. Um, interesting, like, a, you know, one of these, you, you got to, I've ranted, I don't even know how many times, Jim, about the valuation of, of things on the internet. Um, and then this is a case over on, on USA Today talking about same story. Um, and then actually talking, you know, they covered a little bit about the acquisition of some of their content and, and other properties and stuff like that, dealing with things like, you know, a favorite of mine, Yahoo Finance, mm-hmm. as far as I'm one of the best of the like, you know, generic, you know, at my level sort of finance um, information sources. Um, and they're, they're sort of putting a value, all these bids coming in at about $5 billion for sort of the whole kit and caboodle kind of thing. And this is current values. We'll, we'll see what they end up at at the end of the day. 
Um, but I have to think to myself, you've got this massive, massive property. This is one of the cases where I can't believe I'm saying this. It's worth more. Absolutely. <laughs> oh, no, absolutely. How can it not be? I mean, Yahoo Sports, Yahoo Finance, as you noted. Um, Yahoo News. These are all um, the, 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 the thousands of different um, lifestyle and niche-focused publications or blogs that Yahoo puts out. Um, their association with different Yahoos around the world, um, Yahoo product or Yahoo Shopping and Yahoo Shops. Um, I mean, we could go on. Yahoo has um, dozens, if not hundreds, of individual product offerings that on, on their own are actually standalone, could be standalone businesses. Yeah. Um, I think, uh, you know, the same Wall Street Journal article evaluated, uh, figured it's worth between four and eight billion, which is, uh, kind of a, kind of a range if you, if you think about it. Um, but you also got to think, I mean, I've never been to the Yahoo campus in Sunnyvale, California. No. It's huge. It's enormous. It's, it's gorgeous. Um, it's. Prime, insanely expensive real estate that uh, the folks in Silicon Valley might want to put housing on because they need it really bad. Um, <laughs> so yeah, this this uh, the idea of Yahoo selling its patents for a billion. I actually, you know what? I'm going to call shenanigans on this story right now because <laughs> they're worth far more than that. But you know what? Really, you know who's who appears to be the leader in the bidding. For uh, for Yahoo's businesses, who's that? Verizon. Oh, see, that makes Yahoo! sense. <laughs> I'm not sure what to make of the placement of that Yahoo just after <laughs> saying the word Verizon. Most people turn around and spit after saying that. It's like saying Comcast. Um, <laughs> so yeah, Verizon, uh, who I believe I could probably do the research uh, in seconds since I have the internet in front of me. Uh, I believe they just bought AOL. Might be making a play uh, on Yahoo, which makes things interesting. Could you imagine if Verizon became a leading search engine? Oh, that'd be crazy. Yeah. Um, I mean, I'm one of the, like, putting my SEO hat on here and putting my valuation on individual metrics uh, as, as, you know, being the good SEO that I am. Um, we're looking at, just look at, you know, quick calculations just while we were chatting here. Um, we're looking at a valuation, assuming, you know, the $5 billion is right and that people are looking at purchasing up all their properties, $5 billion. You're looking at, and this is just on the dot-com side, you're looking at a valuation of $65 a page. That's notwithstanding the links. If you just were acquiring the yahoo.com domain you for $5 billion, you were paying $5.88 a link. Now, I mean, I'm not saying, hey, you should buy links. But if you're going to put a value on links, and they've got some pretty good ones, um, you know, $5.88 a link, I, I can't offer a better deal than that to build them. So it's got to go up from there. Like the value of this property is, is so, so, so much higher than that. Just from a, a pure its SEO value is, is higher and, and what, it could, what, could, what it could accomplish for people. Now, I'm going through my mental Rolodex, and unfortunately, I can't think of any of my friends who have, like, you know, even a spare billion, much less four. <laughs> um, but if you know anybody, I'd be happy to talk to them about it. 
<laughs> find somebody to just purchase it and then redirect them. I'll sell them as redirects from each of the individual pages. Oh, you're in finance? We'll redirect these ones to you. Well, um, that's, you know, that's a great idea. I bet you Bill Hartshit's got a spare billion. <laughs> I mean, I, I'd approach you, but I know you guys are trying to buy a house in Victoria. So, <laughs> you know, you need at least three billion to do that. <laughs> yeah, that's getting to be about right. Um, indeed. Okay, we should we should move on from Yahoo. Heaven knows Yahoo's trying to. Um, where are we going next? We got a few minutes before we got to take a break. So, um, ba, ba, ba. we got a couple neat things from Facebook coming out right now. One is is pretty exciting for me. What you got? Um, where they're trialing uh, actual payments, and, and we know we've been testing it in the U.S. through Messenger, how to get money to each other. Um, in Thailand right now, so they're testing it, smaller market, where people tend to be using their mobiles heavily for payments, um, and they're testing to purchase products through pages directly. The service that they're using is called Quick, um, Q-W-I-K, uh, I'm using credit cards, debit cards, basically to facilitate the full transaction um, right through Facebook and, and basically making your pages an e-commerce point. Good God. You're telling me this is happening uh, in Thailand only? It's in Thailand right now. At least that's that's the what I've gotten. That's from TechCrunch, so they know yeah, their yeah. stuff. Um, and yeah, that, I mean the the news just came out this morning, so um, you know obviously that's gonna gonna fly in. Makes good sense to me as a as a test bed um, location because of the heavy mobile use there. Um, it, it makes great sense. So it'll be it'll be really interesting. Um, and they can do it through credit and debit, which. It's, Statistically, um, you know, we in, in North America and, and uh, over in Europe are heavy users of, um, but also through online bank transfers. So basically facilitating the ability to purchase goods and services on the web, no longer requiring a, a credit card and allowing people who might not have access to, to credit or banks um, to now make these, make these transactions, which happens a lot in, in some parts of the world. So um, I think it's going to be interesting, and I think they're going to be capturing a lot of microtransaction kind of points where it's not these big purchases. It's a, it's a bunch of smaller purchases. You remember back uh, 2003, 2004, 2005, the rise of Google, when Google started introducing uh, a number of services that were ancillary to search? You know, Google, the, they got their calendar together, and Gmail came out. and Google started moving towards where, where we see them going now, a, a whole series of, like, lifestyle products. Yeah. Back then, we were talking about Google trying to take over your world, right? Like uh, Google trying to be the one ring of sorts <laughs> that you sort of went through to do everything. Yeah. That bound everything together. Mm-hmm. Well, Google didn't quite get there. But Facebook is doing just that. Like, seriously, man, if you could do, if you could do micro or major transactions, if you can do serious e-commerce and sell people product in the Facebook environment... Then maybe maybe the, maybe those those execs at Facebook are right, and the web is dead, or the web as we know it is dead. Right, and it's just moving completely to another another zone. Well, speaking of that and something, I know I'm going to be emailing a couple of my clients who are very very solid, very very heavy users of of social. Um, Facebook, another story from them. Um, also, and this just came across my radar today. This is the problem with viewing Twitter while we're doing our pre-show quick chat because I'm, I'm getting all these stories because Twitter is just lighting up, as yeah. it always does. Um, and Facebook's now allowing you to upload 360-degree photos into your news feed. Now, I find that really, really cool. And there are certain travel clients that I have that I'm like, oh, this is right up your alley. Um, you know, I have one client who 
can create videos and they get millions of views. Like they're really awesome, awesome guy. Um, and I, this is just right up his alley now. Um, and so I think for, for a lot of people in a lot of sectors, you know, think about this one hard because it's, it's an interesting, interesting context of things where you no longer have to go to a place for three sixty videos. It, it'll just appear in the newsfeed. Um, I think that's pretty cool and it'll appear on desktop or phones. Um, so I'm, I'm really looking forward to playing around with that. That is extremely cool. And right here, right now, I'm giving $500 to the first person who does that with the gro- with a GoPro of them, of them taking a massive bike spill. <laughs> that's, that's, that, okay, you know what? I rescind that because I can, I can see people going out there and doing that right now. <laughs> I was going to say, you know what? I probably am just going to make $500 in about a month when I'm in Whistler. So well, hey. exactly, I'm, I'm, I don't hate to say it, dude, but that's exactly what I was thinking about you bombing down one of those trails. And uh, yeah. <laughs> Chances are I'm going to do a 360 spin at some point anyway. So hey, <laughs> not intentionally. I'm not that talented. Uh, well, I mean, if, if, if we could take, if we could help uh, some of your healthcare costs, you know, I'd, I'd do anything for you, Dave. <laughs> Thanks, Jim. Okay, on that, now, Dave, don't go hurt yourself. And friends out there, I'm not going to give you 500 bucks, so don't go hurt yourself for 500 bucks because it just ain't worth it. Because I'm going to renege anyway, right? Like, seriously. <laughs> okay, we got to take a break here on Call to you on cranberry.fm. But when we're coming back, we're going to be coming back in about two minutes. We're going to be joined by Brian Wallace from Now Sourcing. And, uh, but it's awesome. We don't get a bunch of infographics, Dave. This is going to be a fun conversation. Stick around, friends, coming up on Webcology after these messages. Sit tight and don't move. Webcology will be back after this short break. Whether you are an online business or domain name investor, you need access to the best names. With over 270 million domains already registered, finding the right names at the best price requires a great wingman. Namejet.com puts you in the pilot seat by giving you fast and unparalleled access to some of the best premium and expired domain names on earth. As the number one domain name auction platform, Namejet.com is the best place to find domains for your business or investments. So light the afterburners to the domain name aftermarket and fly over to Namejet.com at box speed to get great domains today. Namejet.com. Are you paying too much for your paid advertising or have you quit altogether because it seemed like a huge waste of money? Studies show that companies waste 25% of their PPC spend on average. The web marketing experts at WMETraining.com can show you how to make your AdWords account a lean, mean, converting machine. Whether you're just starting out or want to take your skills to the next level, we have a class for you. Contact the web marketing experts at WMETraining.com. Looking for a better way to get more traffic and interaction to your Facebook page? Imagine Facebook interactivity on your page like you've never seen. Introducing your new Facebook marketing fix, so social the new and revolutionary way to easily manage and automate your Facebook contest and sweepstakes. Create a fun, easy-to-win contest by writing a simple Facebook post. Watch your post go more viral and generate loads of interaction. Track your traffic and generate email lists with ease. So Social is mobile-friendly and complies with Facebook terms of service. Let So Social give your Facebook page some flash today. Zoom over to zosocial.com.
Webcology takes you into the deepest and darkest ends of the ecosystem on the internet. Here are the hosts, Jim Hedger and Dave Davies. Everyone, welcome back to Webcology here on Cranberry.fm. It is the 9th of June, 2016. Summer isn't here and it's almost gone, kids. Make sure you get some outside time. But before you go outside, stick around here for at least another hour because for the next half hour, we got... <laughs> we have Brian Wallace. Uh, Brian is one of the founders of Nowsor. He founded that company in 2005. He's worked in a variety of technical and marketing environments, being a chief technical officer, that's CTO, for those of you who follow acronyms, for a large media company. He holds an MBA and an MS in information systems. He resides in Louisville, Kentucky. He was this year named a 2016 Google Small Business Advisor. He's a guest author on Matchable, and he's here on Webcology. Brian, welcome to Cranberry. Thank you so much for having me. Pleasure to be here. You know what? Thanks for volunteering to come by. Um, You bet. You you, you're known. I mean, you've you've been in the the the, the web marketing industry for a long time, but you've made yourself really known. You've got this great niche in infographics. Yeah, absolutely. So I like, as much as people know me as infographics, I like to think of myself as figuring out what people are going to want in the next three to five years all the time. So most of, I'd say a lot of your crowd, some of the old school SEO people and all that probably know me back then when we were starting up Collective Thoughts, which was a group social media blog, but we were doing social back in 2006, 2007. And I kind of found that, as I'm sure you've seen, social has gotten so enormous and everybody wants a piece of it. Crying out loud, now you have people, all they do is they manage Instagram accounts for famous cats. Like that's an actual profession, right? Then you have all the, the blowback with all the influencers. Is that a thing or not? So it got to the point in the mid to late 2000s where I just didn't want our organization to be everything to everyone because that's when you start to make crap or you outsource everything to everybody and then you have no core knowledge. So those were two dead ends as far as I was concerned. I liked the early days of social when nobody really knew, lots of people needed advice, lots of people needed consulting, people needed content strategy, how to make viral content, all these different things. So I took a hard look right around the end of 2008, early 2009, and I said, I just don't want to do this anymore. I don't like getting pulled in all these directions. And that's when infographics very early on started popping up on the scene. We weren't the first, but going first in a lot of things actually sucks. Right? Yeah. <laughs> a lot of times, you know, you do it like, do things like Apple. Don't do things like everybody else that just, you know, you go first and then you just get slaughtered by everybody else that figures out a way to do it. So we weren't first. There's a lot more power into being third or fifth or 10th. I don't know what number we were. Needless to say, we were very early on and I spent a couple months studying people and infographics back in the day. And I saw some incredible things. One, I saw visual communication like this hasn't really existed in this manner for the web. And it's incredible because we're all visual creatures and you retain memory so much better, right? If you think about what you learned in elementary school, chances are you don't remember any of it. 
right? <laughs> Maybe some basic things on how to live, but in terms of what you read in a book, unless you have a photographic memory or something to that effect, you don't remember it. But if I say, remember a chart or illustration, you'll probably come up with something like the solar system or periodic table. So visual cues are incredibly powerful and the web has embraced it over these years with infographics and other rich media too. I'm not saying infographics are the, the only thing, but I found, go, go ahead. If we can just jump in. Um, yeah. You said that you started doing infographics in uh, 2009. So I imagine like mid-2009, uh, uh, now sourcing really started making its name in, in infographics. Would that be correct? Yes, absolutely. That was, I... that was only five years ago. Now, now before 2009, were you boasting a client list that read like Adobe, Fox, Google, uh, Inter Intercontinental Hotels, L'Oreal, Red Bull, Skype, Twitter? the United Nations? Were you serving those clients before 2009? It's a pretty nice list, isn't it? Uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I actually, it's funny, you know, some people have told me that the list is intimidating. And it, for those of you who don't know me, I'm in no way, shape or form an egomaniac. I don't really like lots of attention or being in the press, but I do have a, a healthy enough professional ego because I think that's what people respect. If you're going to be a contender or a league leader in an industry, you should have some professional respect and things like that. But my point on that is I've had clients or prospective clients look at the client's page and they're scared. They're saying, hey, we're not big like this. Are you sure you want to take us? I say, of course, oh. this is just for you to impress you. To answer your question though, so yeah, I would say that most of those clients came on from infographic work. There were a few folks that you'll see on that list from the earlier social days. So there were a couple of Fortune 500s that we helped usher in the social age pre-2009. Okay, well, back in the day, I'm pretty sure, you know, all of us can say the same thing. I used to love comic books, and that love of comic books moved into, like, you know, uh, an appreciation of graphic novels and that form of storytelling. A picture says a thousand words, and sometimes if you throw some text amongst that picture, you can say tens of thousands. How have you found, like, telling a story in this visual medium rather than the, the, the old text-based medium that we're all, that, you know, we're, we're all used to, the prose medium? Yeah, absolutely. People don't read. And it's not because they're illiterate. It's because they're scrolling with their thumb on a phone half the time or more, depending on their habits. And it's incredible how little people actually read. At best, they skim or scan. You guys have probably heard of Jacob Nielsen, commonly referred to the father of user interface, user experience. Yes. Yeah. So, yeah, he wrote a piece probably more than a decade ago, talking about the way people read. And it's only gotten worse because back then smartphones didn't exist, <laughs> right? So, it, and his words, it's amazing. And I'll try to find that link for you guys, but it really rings true in how people read. So he says, he uses a great word. He says chunking. So people are looking for visual barriers and separators for things. So anybody who's worth their salt that writes a blog post knows that they need a killer title, they need some kind of header image, and then they need some kind of separators as you go, whether there's charts or infographics or images or some kind of stop words, stop headings, links, whatever it is to separate some of those chunks so I know what I want to do. I may want to stop at a certain section and just move on past two or three of the others, right? That's what keeps people reading as much well, as they read. I, I, I'm looking at an infographic now that, that you, might have, you might have actually just sourced for, for what you just said. The habits of highly successful millennials rewriting the rules for success. Mm -hmm. okay. Yeah, I, I think I, that's I, I, one that we've... How do you come up with this stuff? 
So that's a great question. I mean, it's kind of like asking a person how to be creative. So, <laughs> right. And I'll tell you, I have a, a lot of thoughts. I, I spend most of my time trying to figure out how to make people creative and how to be more creative yourself. So let's back up a second before we get into that. Yeah, sure. There, there's two schools of thought, conventional wisdom wise, on how you should pursue your career or your strengths, whatever you want to call it, right? I like to give a lot of entrepreneurial advice, hence the Google thing. But I, I love talking about this particular topic. So there are some people that will tell you, get good at everything and be well-rounded and all that. But that's crap because the thing that you're not understanding with that is everybody has not one or two, but probably at least half a dozen things that they're really, really good at. And if you can figure out a career for yourself, working for yourself, working for somebody else that can combine all those things, then you're going to be a superstar because all you need to do from there is double down and get better at those strengths and then fill in the weaknesses. So take somebody like me. So I have very good powers of persuasion. I'm a good curator. I know what people like to read. I know how to visually set something up, tell a story. And that habits of successful people thing that you're seeing is at least three years old. It was act two, three years old. It was one, I think the top story in entrepreneur.com a couple of years ago, and you probably saw it on tech cocktail just now and they resurged it. Uh, there was actually a guy who a colleague of mine, he messaged me on Facebook about a week or two ago. And he said, Hey dude, you're on the front page of Reddit. And I said, awesome. What on what? So he showed me a piece and I said, what the hell? That was five years old. So <laughs> when you figure out how to be creative, just work really hard and continue to practice that craft probably heard of the 10,000 hour rule that Malcolm Gladwell likes to quote, whatever you happen to think of him. So to get to some level of proficiency where you can attain mastery, not calling yourself a social media guru or calling yourself an expert, but to actually clock in an amount of time, you really do need the effect of a good 10,000 hours to really get good at something. So if you flex your brain to be creative for 10,000 hours plus, I'm pretty sure you can be creative. So I am good at getting to the guts of what a company is about, understanding what their pain is, understanding what market they're after, and then figuring out creative things because we work, as you saw from the clients, in lots and lots of different markets. So what I can see in travel and hospitality, I can apply to social and I can apply to agriculture or anything because it just constantly is flooding us with ideas. So you can't force ideas. You have to really spend a lot of time on that and then sometimes a lot of it is just kind of like a, a spark of an idea or just the title, right? So that, that whole habits of piece, we, and we did a couple of different habits of, right? So mm -hmm. we did um, smartest people. We did one on oldest people that also did well. But I think smartest did really a little bit better. The, the premise behind that one was people don't have a lot of time to sit and consume content, which is why an infographic is good. Because if you put a clock timer to it, Generally speaking, you can get through one of those, I'd say the sweet spots right around two and a half to three minutes. Perfect time to, if you're sitting on mass transportation, if you're getting your morning coffee, if you're taking a little break, lunch break, drive home, whatever it is, that's a, a nice little sweet spot that it's not so long that you want to save it for later or never read it. And it's not so short that you don't actually learn anything. So in this kind of intermediate time set for people, you can aspire to be better than you are today because the internet's great to learn anything about anything with very limited proficiency. So how do you give people, without using the words growth hack or life hack for crying out loud because those are burned to the ground, but how do you give someone 
any level of practical knowledge where you can say, well, these people were successful and they did things where they ate right or the amount of sleep they get, whatever the case is, just giving them something hopeful to think about. And then what are they going to do? Obviously, they're going to share it with their friends. They're going to put it on Pinterest. They're going to put it on Facebook, Twitter, you name it. Now, something that's, that's interesting while, while you were speaking, I mean, two quotes from, from business monsters um, came to mind that, that you seem to have, have tapped into, whether intentionally or un. And, and one of them I loved, uh, a quote from Lee Iacocca, is I hire people brighter than me and then I get out of their way. It seems to be exactly, don't be a master at everything, just do what you do, do it great, and then hire people smarter than you to do the other things. Right. Um, and, and then in your, your titling, you nailed one of my favorite books of all time, um, how to win friends and influence people. And a lot of the titles that you're coming up with are kind of, they, they, they seem to tap into that same idea. Find that thing that people really, really want habits of whatever it is that a person really wants to be or envision themselves as. And of course, they're going to be attracted to it and then show them that it only takes two minutes to do. I mean, yes, we're talking 10,000 hours in the real world, but you're giving them the instructions in, in two minutes, which is, is great. But coming up with, and, and I know it's, it's hard to say, hey, teach me how to be creative. I'm not a specifically creative human being. That's just, I'm a more technical kind of, kind of person. But do you come up with these ideas? Are, are they inspired by others, something you may see? Or is it something where you're just, you're now in a bill of client for the time that you were standing in the shower because it just hit you while you were conditioning your hair and waiting for it to run out? Like, is it just, does it just hit you out of the blue or do you, is there a process that, that you can advise people to go through to sort of go, don't just wait for inspiration. Here's some ideas on how to grab ideas that might inspire something new. That's an outstanding question. To preface it, I'm going to challenge you because you said you're not creative, you're technical. So I actually did, I do a fair amount of Facebook live streaming and I covered this as a topic about creativity. And so I'm in the Midwest now, but I'm originally from New York in the suburbs of New York City. And I was visiting my folks and I just had this great idea right then and there to like go to my childhood elementary school and do a Facebook live talking about how to be creative because once upon a time we were all creative. We weren't working for a dollar. Nobody put restrictions on us and we were all builders and painters and we all did Legos and cars and came up with games. Um, for all of the, us that are on here, we're old enough to remember what it was like before the internet and all these things kind of short circuited our brains. And we were all creative because we had to be, otherwise we'd just be sitting on the couch twiddling our thumbs, right? So, right. I mean, I even remember, do you remember when you would do like paper-based games and things like that? It's crazy. Or like text-based games on the early computer pre-internet. So we were forced to be creative because all the technology stuff around us sucked. <laughs> it wasn't ready yet. <laughs> and now a lot of it can, you know, kind of fill our mind and we can binge watch Netflix and watch entire series of things that you would normally have to just wait forever on TV. Not to sound like a grumpy old man or anything. So back to today's time, I think anybody can spend a lot of time. It's that they don't feel like they're going to succeed or they think that it's underdeveloped. And they're right because a lot of them don't think like this. So, I mean, we hire crazy people that are all, you know, creative like this. And I mean that in a, a good way. So I don't think that there is like a set and formal process, except for the fact that people usually rush creativity. So what if you spent an hour trying to come up with a great title instead of 10 minutes or two minutes or zero minutes, and you just wrote the first thing that came to your mind? So I'll tell you, sometimes it hits me in a flash or somebody on the team 
while we're having an initial call with the client, we hear what they're about and something sparks us from another memory, something we saw, something in the news, something that they did, something their competitor did. It could come from so many different angles. And sometimes you just know it where sometimes we'll say, here's a whole bunch of different little mini angles where sometimes we say, you know what, this is just irresistible. I love this topic. Let's just do this. And they feel it. Okay. Um, you know, I, if I could just jump in here for a second, I want to kind of add to Dave's question and, uh, We've all had the gone through the hell of getting a PowerPoint presentation together often at the very last minute um, in the hotel before the conference starts. Of course. And that's, you know, uh, another form of storytelling, although it's, yes, it's much more long-form storytelling. Um, and you got to be creative then. you got to merge image and word to go with your uh, – to go, to go with the presentation you're given. You, Brian, and any of your staff, you guys have to do it in a much smaller, uh, in a much smaller framework. You have like one page, maybe two pages. You go to three pages. You made a comic book. Is there a formula when you when 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 you start thinking about an infographic from the inception stage? Is there a formula you go through, or is each graphic different, each, each story different? Sure. So I would say that each story is different. I don't think there's one hard and fast rule. I'd say there's a couple of clusters because it depends on what it's for. So if it's something to gain a huge amount of traffic, links, attention, press, funding, sales, downloads, whatever, we have to think about that in an entirely different manner as opposed to, let's say, if it's for internal staff. So let's say you're a company of 50,000 people and you want people to understand how a group works with the rest of the organization. So we do a fair amount of stuff like that. And the dimensions and the mindset could be completely different and not necessarily as creative, which I always fight back and I say, hey, they're people too. They want to be entertained. They want to be informed. But still, it's different than being, let's say, a media resource. So we have a number of guidelines and principles. So I'll share a couple of things with you. One, which I already said, was that reading time. I love for the thought of a piece to be consumed somewhere in that two and a half to three minute time frame to really get the gist of everything going on. If you're doing too much beyond that, you're going to lose people's attention. It's gonna to take too long to scroll. And certainly if you're doing it shorter than that, it's not really even an infographic anymore. It's just kind of one of those little mini post things that people share around a little bit, which you can always break up part of the infographic to do and use in social anyway. So those are things to be considered. And then we have some general guidelines on how big the infographic should be. So the height, is going to vary immensely depending on how much data and story needs to go in it. But width-wise, we basically code it for about a thousand pixels wide to go for high retina. And then usually we call it for a lowest common denominator, somewhere around 500, 550 pixels wide, because there's a lot of people using older monitors still and terrible old content management systems with not a very large content window. Great work for us. Sorry. <laughs> okay, uh, I actually kind of interrupted you with the WordPress uh, joke uh, on purpose because we got to take a break. But Brian, can we can stick around for a few minutes. I got a bunch of questions I want to ask about about you know just the just the hardcore marketing with infographics. Yeah, uh, happy to. Friends, stick around. We have Brian Wallace from uh, from from NowSource. You're listening to Webcology here on Cranberry.fm. On behalf of Dave Davis from Beatmarket and Marketing, this is Jim Hedger from Digital Always Media. It is the 9th of June, 2016, and we're back after these messages.
Sit tight and don't move. Webcology. We'll be back after this short break. Hey, this is Danny Sullivan to talk to you about Bruce Clay Incorporated. They've made Inc. Magazine's list of growing private businesses and have exhibited and sponsored at my conferences since the very beginning. You've seen their search engine relationship chart or you've read their SEO code of ethics. So you know their SEO experts, but did you know they can help you with PBC, web analytics, web design, marketing strategy, promotion, and branding? Yep, get everything you need for success in the online marketplace. You can check it out from the professionals at Bruce Clay Incorporated. For over 10 years with offices worldwide, they've got the answers you need. Check them out today. BruceClay.com. Great websites today need expert web design and development and need to be e-commerce ready and mobile friendly. But building a marketable and profitable website can be an uphill climb. Ready to make your new website or replace your existing website? Think Orange as the new way to get in the black. Orange Hill Development works with Fortune 500 companies and offer the same top quality development service at a fraction of what other providers charge. Brands like Absolute, Carlsberg, and Nestle trust Orange Hill Development. Find out why you should trust your website with Orange Hill. Contact Orange Hill for a consultation today at orangehilldevelopment.com. Hi, I'm Montel Williams. Most of you know me as a talk show host, but I'm also an author, actor, single father of four, avid snowboarder, and I'm also a medical marijuana patient. Living with multiple sclerosis, I'm in pain every day. Medical marijuana is my last resort, and it helps me when all other drugs have failed. If you'd like more information about medical marijuana, you can contact the Marijuana Policy Project at mpp.org or call 1-877-JOIN-MPP. Do you look at the task of ranking your site at the top of the search engines like you would climbing the top of Mount Everest? It doesn't have to be. TopSEOs.com knows how hard that climb can be, and they can make top ranking a reality. Top SEOs send you to only the right search vendors and agencies that they know will work for you. Since 2002, TopSEOs.com has reviewed and researched the best search engine marketing agencies and solutions providers. Don't risk the cost of falling off the proverbial peak of search rankings. Let Top SEOs give you peace of mind. TopSEOs.com, the independent authority on search vendors. Webcology takes you into the deepest and darkest ends of the ecosystem on the Internet. Here are the hosts, Jim Hedger and Dave Davies. Hey everyone, welcome back to Webcology here on Cranberry.fm. This is Jim Hedger from Digital Always Media, Dave Davies from Beanstalk Internet Marketing, and we're joined by Brian Wallace from Now Sourcing, who is actually asking me on his website if I need any help. No, I'm all good, Brian. Thanks, thanks, man. <laughs> I thought that thought that was you I, just being. Told. I'm on the outsourcing website, so I can look at uh, at your portfolio of of infographics, and you have a um, a customer support application that says Brian Wallace. Hi there. Need any help? <laughs> <laughs> yep, are you are you multitasking, or is that like automatic? Uh, it's what I like to call semi-automatic. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um. One weird thing about uh, about infographics I've noticed. Back in the uh, the early desktop publishing days, uh, one of the things that you would always advise people who were getting into it is stick with like one font and one you know like keep it normal. Don't try to use a whole bunch of different fonts to um, to jazz out to jazz out the viewer because you're going to fail. But in infographics, you guys used like you used 
successful infographics seem to use like seven, eight, nine different fonts all jammed into the same space. How does that work? You bet. And I love talking about this. And I'll even roll up the question beyond fonts, but the overall look and feel. So we talked about comic books a little bit before. So a lot of comic book series kind of stay with the same look and feel because they don't want to confuse the reader and they're keeping the characters the same. And it's usually the same artists. So we've got a number of different artists that are talented in a number of different ways. We've even built fonts for crying out loud. So I find that I'll use it as an example. There's a wonderful video a couple of years back on college humor that was, uh, if you will, taking a, a swipe at Disney, where it was basically saying Disney made one cartoon once and they've been tracing it ever since. <laughs> so, and it's amazing. If you watch this video, it's the ballroom scene of Cinderella, Snow White, The Jungle Book, and like three or four other movies. I don't remember the rest. Point of it though is they keep flipping it from movie to movie and literally frame by frame, it's the same characters in the same background, the same foreground. And they I couldn't believe it when Mogi wore the same dress as Cinderella. I, I, I hate continuity errors like that. Yeah, it's just weird, right? And I mean, I can understand maybe back in the day, we didn't have 3D animation studios. It was really hard to illustrate all these things by hand. You had budgetary things, the war, whatever. But today, you can do things pretty easily. You know, it's just change the font to another <laughs> button, right? So I find that to make a successful infographic, you don't want to make, so let's say I'm doing a series of 12 infographics for a client, one a month. It's not a comic book series. I can't count on the audience tuning in every single month. We might have new audience drop on, off, whatever. So each one, in my opinion, has to stand out on its own. So there are different brands and companies that like things that maybe are a little more old timey. There are people that like things that look a little more future. And I'd say that there's certain iconography and text that goes with those kind of looks. But there's really, if you think about it, design's so subjective that there isn't one way to win. Granted, there's lots of ways to lose. You can make a terrible looking piece in a lot of different ways. And we're not going to sit there using, you know, Comic Sans and Times New Roman and stuff like that. But yes, it's, in my opinion, very good to be flexible I, I, I hear what in you're that. saying there, where, you know, IBM and Google would obviously want, you know, they require slightly different looks. But I've seen some of these infographics where you have, like, cursive font and then aerial font and then... Um, some other weird cursive underneath that, and you got a whole bunch jammed into the same space, and it works, but conventional publishing wisdom says it shouldn't, you know? Right. And remember how we're looking at these things. So this is not conventional publishing. Sometimes, that's in fairness, there are plenty of pieces that we do that translate to print, so sometimes people want it for a trade show, and we have a pop-up retractable banner, sometimes it's PowerPoint slides, whatever it is, but let's just, let's keep it simple and talk about digital publishing where we're talking about a long skinny image that goes on a computer or a tablet or a phone, right? So this is the kind of thing that, remember, you're scrolling through very quickly with your finger or you're scrolling with your mouse or your touchpad quickly. You have 2.7 seconds to get somebody's attention. So to have a level of contrast in that sense that you wouldn't necessarily in a publication is the difference between somebody bouncing away and sticking around to read it. So you need constant little reminders for people to continue to peruse it. Okay. Um, when you're, you know, when you're, when you're flying and you, uh, you read the safety, uh, safety pamphlet that comes in the, uh, 
in the seat back in front of you and the seat back pocket, and it has the escape route, a graphic. Is that an infographic? I wouldn't really call it an infographic. It's funny. We've actually had a couple clients over the years that wanted it to look like the flight safety kind of a thing, <laughs> oddly um, enough. So there is not an infographic academy of standards, sort of like SEO in a, a number of digital fields, that necessarily says this is exactly what you need to do to be considered it compared to let's say something like wi-fi if you're not on the 802.11 standard it's not going to work right so <laughs> it's not an industry that has that level of standards there are some people that are trying to do that so right now um there's a in miami there's an organization called the visual storytelling institute that i am a board member of it just kicked off a few months ago where we're trying to do some things to that effect because it's hard right, to work in something that doesn't have standards. So when you don't have hard and fast standards, you have to do the best you can and really be very rigorous about your approach to it. So you, as creative as we are, we're, you know, always looking to see what's working and what doesn't, because not everything that you make is always going to be such an incredible hit, right, for a variety of reasons. So you've made the infographic. Uh, this is going to be a, a, a difficult question because I'm just going to make it this subjective client. Um, you've sure. made the infographic. It's there. It's ready to go. Um, how do you market it? So let's start with how not to market it. <laughs> <laughs> so a lot of people, maybe they're doing their first infographic or their second one. Maybe this is like the first one they're doing in-house. Maybe they're going with a freelancer. Maybe they're going with a place that's a full service agency that doesn't really know how to make an infographic, but they don't want to turn down the money. So here's what a lot of people do. So they put it on their website and they don't know what an embed code is. They don't test it. They don't know things like if you're over a certain um, height, it's not going to load on iOS on mobile. They don't know how to chop it up for high retina. They don't know how to detect different browsers, different platforms, tablets. They don't realize all of these things. So there's occasions where the infographic doesn't load. There's occasions where I've seen it where countless times, People put an embed code for bloggers to embed it on their sites or news media embed it on their sites, and they don't know what Unicode is, so they put the wrong quote marks on there. And they have all sorts of nightmares. Or they even, my favorite is when they'll take somebody else's embed code, so you're embedding another infographic in another way. <laughs> so it's incredible, even before you try to be successful, that the platform is a complete failure. So we have a whole QA process of that where we go ahead and we're the ones that are doing the installation or we're the ones that are at least QAing the thing because you can have a, a wonderful success in media and then just have a failure because people don't know how to link and it's a nightmare. And then there's, okay, let's assume that we have that part squared away. Then we have the promotion of the infographic. So there's a number of horrible things that people do. A lot of people will hire a bunch of fly-by-night kinds of organizations in India, not to pick on a specific region, that will email me, even though it's kind of crazy, but you would be amazed how many emails I get a day, especially, I'd say, somewhere in the hours of 3 to 5 in the morning, and we're in Eastern time. So picking uh, like a just spam-and-pray approach not being specific of doing outreach and then pissing people off to the greatest extent by not even addressing them by name and the wrong time zone is a surefire way to get you know blacklisted emails i remember a couple years ago there's one of my favorite examples of how to do things poorly there was a guy who obviously spent no time whatsoever 
really thinking about this. So he had an infographic talking about the industry of the post office. He was pitching it to a site that sells snowboards. What do those two things have to do together? Nothing. So the guy wrote an entire blog post just completely destroying the guy saying we're not anything to do with the post office, dude. What are you doing here? So over the years, we've built up a lot of trust and a lot of relationships with some of the largest media in the world. So when we come to the table with a quality piece, they're going to know that it has a solid backbone, a solid story, good data. We bother to put sources on it. Have you ever seen an infographic that has no sources on the bottom or it says source wikipedia.org? I mean, did people go to grade school and do book reports? I, it blows my mind what people try to get away with. So we bother to button up all these things and deliver something great to a relevant editor and a relevant audience. Then uh, I'm not sure how much I want to talk about it in a, a public setting, but let's just say that there's plenty of people that do shady things where they're just doing like crazy like pay for play things. The problem with that is after a while, people get outed and then links get removed and Google comes along and says, hey, you really shouldn't do this and goodbye. So we really do our best to stay away from anything with that and stay above board because you're just looking for trouble for, it's just a silly short term gain and we're really looking for the long term. We want to hear from people that five years down the road, this thing's still making the money. Okay, uh, Brian, Brian, man, I, we, I gotta cut you off because we're about to get cut off because we're at the top of the hour. Uh, All right. We're gonna have to bring you back on another show. I know Dave has a whole bunch more questions. I got a bunch more questions, but again, tyranny of time. We have a news broadcast coming up any second now. So, Brian Wallace, CEO of NowSourcing, nowsourcing.com. Man, thank you so much for spending time with us on Cranberry today. Absolutely. Been a pleasure. Friends, that was Brian Wallace from NowSourcing.com. On behalf of Dave Davies from Beanstalk Internet Marketing, this is Jim Hedger from Digital Always Media. You've been listening to, Cran- to Webcology on Cranberry.fm on the 9th of June, 2016. Stick around, Cranberry. we got some great content coming up after the news, and we'll talk to you next week. The opinions expressed are those of the hosts and their guests and do not necessarily reflect those of the staff and management of Cranberry News Marketing and Cranberry.fm. Rebroadcasts or retransmission of this content without proper consent is prohibited. Looking for a 